Hello listeners everywhere! Welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities, a voyage into the vault of wonders on the wireless. In a moment, Simon Exton and Ken Moss will be here to speak to you. Hello everyone and a very warm welcome to the Archive of Audio Antiquities. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And this is a brand new podcast looking at audio dramas and audio comedies, radio from the past, and anything else that tickles our fancy on audio. Some of you may have heard us on our other podcasts where we discuss archive television and gin, it does crop in, but we're big fans of radio and there's so much of it out there we thought we'd start another podcast. To kick us off, we're going to be listening to a Doctor Who story from 2000 called The Genocide Machine. This was an adventure made by Big Finish Productions, who release audio dramas and audio adventures every month, every week. About every ten minutes, it seems. There's some new series featuring some minor character from Doctor Who that's been announced. I'm afraid to say they do do a lot of spin-offs, which I've always vowed I would never get into the spin-offs, because there's just so damn many of them. To be fair, I haven't really listened to Big Finish Main Range in quite a number of years, and really for two reasons. One, there's so damn much of it, and I have a job and I have a life, and there are other things I want to do than just spend my life plowing through Doctor Who audios. And secondly, there's really not a good signal-to-noise ratio. You have always said this, yeah. The Genocide Machine, though, which is the one we're going to look at, starred Sylvester McCoy. And actually, I have to say, it's pretty damn good. Which is why we chose it. The logical one would to do would have been The Sirens of Time, which isn't good. Oh, you're a harsh man. I like The Sirens of Time. And I've said this no, before. What, what I am is a consumer. And <laughs> unlike a lot of Big Finishes consumers, I'm not going to buy something just because it has Doctor Who plastered on the outside and the same actors from the series. If I'm paying for a full price product, I want a quality professional level product. Now, Big Finish do that but they don't consistently do that. And that's my problem. Something like the genocide machine. I have listened to God knows how many times I've absolutely lost count. I still love it. I listened to it again last week while we were preparing for this. And it's still a fantastic story. All units prepare for battle conditions. Phase one of our plan is now complete. Whatever you are, stop or I fire. Alien aggressors eliminated. What you have here has the potential to become the greatest weapon ever created. Scan for primary target. Doctor! This is a Sylvester McCoy and Ace story. They arrive on Karsharat because the Doctor has borrowed some books from the library and wants to return them. And they step out of the TARDIS into a rainforest. The library is there. It's just hidden behind a temple barrier, which because the Doctor's a time lord, they just breeze past. Ace is given a genetic tag to be able to get to and from the, the library itself because she's not desperately interested in librarian stuff. And she gets royally annoyed by the very annoying chief librarian 
she decides that she doesn't really want to put up with any more of his condescension and she decides she's going to go for a wander out in the jungle. She disappears off for a wander in the jungle. The Doctor spends time with the chief librarian and his assistant, Prink, which is quite nicely done, actually, because Prink doesn't actually have any lines until he dies at the end, and then he gets one line. Retro spoilers. It's 20 years old. <laughs> but yes, we will, we will put a thing on the Twitter to say, if you haven't listened to this in the last 20 years, we may well end up telling you what happens at the end and take it on yourself. As far as I'm concerned, spoilers for things that are more than two years old aren't spoilers. We're just lazy viewers or listeners. So Ace disappears off into the jungle and meets up with a sort of pseudo-Benny. She's not actually a, a fake archaeologist. She's a proper tomb robber. And she has been employed to come to Karsharat and take away an archaeological... Well, it's not really archaeological, is it? It's above the surface. It's the, the ziggurat, to take, yes. To take away an ancient building, the ziggurat, which is one of many that's spread throughout the system. Nobody really knows what it is. And when she and her team get to the ziggurat, it opens up and something comes out and kills them all apart from Bev. And we as viewers know that these are dark like she doesn't. So Ace meets up with Bev um, and they then go on and meet up with Bev's partner, who was one of the ones who was killed in the Dalek attack, who is being possessed by the native Karsharatians, who are water-based creatures. And these are the ones that within the library are being used to fuel the wetworks facility and they're having their own memories erased and replaced with the data from the library. And so this is where the title of the genocide machine comes from. The Daleks want access to this knowledge resource, so they capture and make a replica of Ace and use that replica with its genetic tag to enter the library, where they do the normal Dalek-y thing of massacring all the staff and try to tie a Dalek into the wetworks facility, but the amount of data that goes into it completely overloads it, and they realise that they need a Time Lord brain to be able to stabilise the interface. So they, they use the Doctor for that. The Doctor, when he goes into the, the wetworks facility, works out what is going on, and basically this is a gulag where the Karsharatans are having their memory erased, he remonstrates with the archivist about this and says what a, an appalling thing he, he thinks this is. The archivist tries to come the, I'm just an intellectual, I didn't really understand what was going on and you, you can't blame me for this too much. And the doctor's having none of it really lays into him and I have to say morally rightly so. And the thing that really turns it around for the archivist is when they're all captured by the Daleks and the Dalek replica of Ace, and they're trying to persuade the Doctor to cooperate. And they just very casually kill Prink, who is the second in command. That's really what puts a, a human face on the, the massacre for the archivist. He basically ends the story a broken man because his life work ends up destroyed Ace liberates all the Karsharatans by blowing up the library and all sorts of happy Ace explodey woohoos, which ties in very nicely with the original series. Yes, and it does. I'm not wildly keen on just how much of a departure from that character they did in the New Adventures. I know it's something you're very keen on. Well, yes and no. The New Adventures I've only read scant few of. I know that they went very, very different. It was basically a different character in the end, Ace, in the, the New Adventure novels. On about how good you think they are? I'd always assumed you'd read all of them. No. Oh, not the New Adventures. The BBC books, yeah, but not the New Adventures. Oh, good heavens. And you call yourself a completist. I've got them. I've just not read them. <laughs> no, that's just being a collector. There, there is a difference. I have read all of them. Some of them are bloody awful. So There's a couple that stick that, out. Shadow Mind, The Pit. Really, really good. Awful. Um, Nightshade is wonderful. Jesus. I believe so. That's one I've not read. Oh, God, it's the Quatermass one. You are really letting the side down here, Moss. <laughs> 
Yeah. I shall go and attend to it forthwith. Finish the podcast first. I love um, this story. It was so the, uh, it was the seventh one that Big Finish released from the Doctor Who main range, and they held back the Daleks for seven stories, which at the time I thought was quite a brave move. They could have gone in straight with the big guns straight away, and they didn't. They held it, and that first run of stories, I'd say the sort of the first fifteen twenty stories. I've got a real soft spot for, because I listened to them over and over. It was the first new Doctor Who, barring the Paul McGann movie, that we'd had for 10 years, and I just devoured it. And they made a real effort to fit it in with the continuity and to get the sound effects right. Plus, they were really quite well written. I They're the odd blip, but... A Genocide Machine is a cracker. It was written by Mike Tucker, who was one of the effects assistants on original Doctor Who in the McCoy era and has come back and done model work in the new era. And written novels. And written novels, and they've always yeah. been good. The, yes. There was a continuity to it. Each novel that they did sort of followed on, but they wrote essentially an extra season for The Seventh Doctor and Ace. And they created interesting characters, interesting worlds, good stories that fit in with the era. And there was stuff that you really wanted to read. Their audio yeah. stuff, or Mike Tucker's audio yeah. stuff, has been exactly the same. Yeah, and with both of the audio stuff that you did and the, the novels, they were good stories, they were entertaining stories, and there was none of the literary territory marking that other writers felt the need to do. So, oh, I've got to be the first writer to do a doctorless novel, or the first writer to do one with one of the comic book companions, or the list went on and on and it, it really did feel like territory marking and or the the first writer to use the celestial toy maker which was a particularly dreadful one which Amelia Earhart turns up in the middle of for no no logical reason whatsoever other which than one to was say that? oh I don't know it was a Gary Russell one oh, the only one I can think of off the top of my head is Divided Loyalties which was a fifth Doctor yeah, one. It's whichever one was the first one with the Celestial Toymaker of the Nightmare Affair. The Genocide Machine, story aside, which That's I think is great, machine. and there's some good characters. There are some cracking scenes in it as well. The Daleks are very well realised. The voices spot on, the battle sequences are very exciting and very well realised. There's several special weapons Daleks in it, and they sound really meaty. It's all really well done. The sound of the jungle and the mm. sound of the library just really bring it to life. Because the Big Finish team didn't just sort of appear out of nowhere. They'd done all the audiovisuals yeah. beforehand, which start off very, very, very fanish. Fun, but fanish. <laughs> and as they go through their four seasons, they get more and more, not really at the, at the professional level while they're doing the audiovisuals, but they get much more polished. And there are stories like Minuet in Hell that are good enough to be repeated as a Doctor Who story with Big Finish. The thing I really liked was how they gave the Doctors room to grow into their characters. So Sylvester McCoy really got to play the manipulator and mm. to do that simmering moral rage that he, he does really, really well. And he does some wonderful temper, barely kept under control scenes in this. Yeah, well, he does certainly with Librarian Elgin. Yeah, there's some real bubbling anger there. Where the Seventh Doctor falls down, for me, is the rage scenes. They're never really done quite as well as the quiet rage scenes. The example I always use is Death Comes to Time, 
uh, Sylvester McCoy's performance in that was directed to be very quiet and understated. There was no shouty, ranty in it, and it was wonderful. If that version of The Seventh Doctor could be replicated on Big Finish a little more, I'd be a very happy man. It has to be said, of all of the Doctors that work with Big Finish, Sylvester McCoy is the weak link. Now, that that's not uh, just being denigrating, but it, it's not being massively denigrating. It doesn't mean he's bad. It just means that the others are really, really good, particularly Colin Baker, having been given decent scripts to work with, just absolutely flies with the role. Colin Baker, Paul McGann and David Tennant are off the map good. They're easily as good as they were on television. Yeah, and segueing again, I suspect this is going to be the story of Jodie Whittaker. When she gets some decent stories Mm. to work with, she will show just what a good actress she is. Because she is. You see her in other stuff, she's superb. But she's been given appallingly dull stories to act in. And that's not her fault. I suspect once she gets something that she can really get her teeth into, we will see an excellent Doctor. I hope so, because otherwise we're left with someone who at the moment is reasonably poorly regarded. I think fandom's sort of split 50-50. Maybe that's being a bit generous between people who love her and people who just don't really get her as the Doctor. I unfortunately at the moment am falling into the latter camp, but As all of that really has got I, to be... But that's not down to Jodie Whittaker. I'm oh, it's sure the writing. Down to, it's down to writing, it's down to direction, and it's particularly down to showrunner because it's a theme that runs across the whole season, so it's not down to individual writers, it's not down to individual directors, it's down to their control of the head. Yeah. But should we get back to the genocide? We do. Um, for those of you new to us, our style does tend to involve an awful lot of segues off the main theme. So if you stay the course with us, get used to that. No, it's just one of those stories, Genocide Machine, that I can come back to time and again. I never get bored with it. There's so much going on. I've always said that a decent Doctor Who story needs at least three plot strands going on at any one time. And a lot of the big finish stuff in sort of the middle period, it became much more linear and lost those additional plot strands. And things like The Wishing Beast, it had basically one plot strand. But with the genocide machine, right at the start, they had people on board. Okay, they may have been fans or previous writers, but they got how to write Doctor Who. And there did come a period where they had a bank of people who either A, were burned out, or B, just didn't really know. They might have been fans, but they didn't know how to write Right at the beginning, they were good dramas, and I can't really pick a genuinely bad one from that first run of about 20 or 30. Sirens of Time. No, I'm not having this about Sirens of Time. I've said this many times. I like Nicholas Briggs as a writer. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anything I've really not enjoyed of his. But Sirens of Time... Name name a couple of other things that he's written. Embrace the Darkness. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's one of his. The Nowhere Place... It's good stuff. It's a little bit surreal. It goes into territories with Sixth Doctor and Evelyn. So I like Nicholas Briggs' writing, but Sirens of Time, if it had been that terrible, I wouldn't have bought any more. 
But I've spent thousands of pounds with Big Finish on the back of Sirens of Times. I don't think Sirens of Time is terrible. I just don't think it's good. It's meh. It's the poison chalice of the multi-doctor story, isn't it? Miles of Grace is awful. It's a multi-doctor story, but it's more a multi-actor story than the Doctor. The Doctors don't turn up until right at the end. It was just an attempt to do something different, but Light at the End's pretty good. Uh, Legacy of Time, which is pretty good. But the interplay between the Doctors during Light at the End which again, I think is a Nicholas Briggs story. That was wonderful. No, the big finish ones that I've particularly liked have been the really good ones that just slot into the standard range in the same way as an awful lot of my favourite classic TV Doctor Who stories are ones that are just fitting into the normal range. So Robots of Death, Ark in Space, Horror of Fang Rock, Web of Fear, all of these are just a story that fits into a season and doesn't have any leaving or arriving or, mm. or any of that. It's just a story that is there that has been really well done. And Genocide Machine fits that to a T. Now, with it being their first Dalek story, they really had to pull out all the stops. And I, I really think they did with this. Yeah, including the Dalek Emperor from the Century 21 comics, the big golden globe. And the thing that I like about this is that unlike an awful lot of the sort of 70s and 80s Dalek stories, the Daleks are shown as tacticians and plotters, mm. and they've been hiding inside the ziggurat for centuries because they know that at some point the Doctor or another Gallifreyan will turn up and they can use that to get into the library. It's not a they turn up and react to things or they're running around doing what whatever Davros wants, which is the Daleks from the 70s and 80s. This is planning beforehand. This is Dalek subtlety and tactics. This is power of the Daleks type Daleks. And I loved that about it. Yes. And before the Daleks started cropping up in every other story, this was the period where they had them without Davros. Davros didn't crop up in the main range for oh, a good few years. And they didn't need him. It was nice when he did, and what he's been in has worked, but I've always thought, really, the Daleks work best without Davros, and this is a prime example of it. Yeah, and they were on telly for God knows how many years before Davros came along at 13 years or whatever, and... Yeah, as soon as he turns up in Genesis, then he... They just become mobile tanks. Yeah, really without subtlety. Whereas the, particularly the Patrick Troughton Dalek stories, the Daleks had subtlety. They had intelligence behind them. They weren't just guns on wheels, which is what they turned into later on. To an extent, still are. Well, this is the first, or it's, well, it's the second example of swearing in Big Finish Doctor Who. It's nothing particularly gratuitous, but it is in there. And as the releases went by, I think it culminated in a fairly bad expletive creeping into the rapture. Again, that was four or five years in. A, a really good story. I like the rapture a lot. Yeah, it is a good story. The swearing in it was real and true to life and this, that and the other. But as they found with the new adventures, it sort of drags you out of the universe and it just jars. So that disappeared fairly quickly out of the audios. I think it's probably a good idea. Yes, I agree, because at the end of the day, although it's not Big Finish's target market, Doctor Who has always been and should be predominantly children's mm. entertainment. Well, family entertainment. So something you don't have to worry about children in the family watching, something you don't have to worry about granny in the family watching. <laughs> well, one of the things that you probably couldn't show on television is the slaughter scenes in the genocide machine. This is Daleks at the deadly worst. They just barge into a room and start massacring everybody, and you hear it in fairly unpleasant detail because they are, as I've said, very well realised. Humanoids, 
It's great. It's great listening. And it shows the Daleks for what they are and what they really mm-hmm. should be on television. Nowadays, Doctor Who on television doesn't show death. And it was very subtly done because when Russell T. Davis took over, that was part of his decision not to show death on screen or certainly nothing in any way gory. But periodically, yeah. you do need it in an action-adventure series. Yeah, because, okay, with the new era, I was thinking more with the classic era, you've got some quite nasty stuff with the Daleks. You've got the massacre and battles at the end of power. You've got that whole bit in Destiny of the Daleks where there's prisoners lined up and being exterminated Mm. to compel their doctor to cooperate. So there has been some nasty stuff. Well, yes, and by the time you get to Colin Baker's era, they don't pull the punches. You've got acid baths and all sorts. Yeah, not with the Daleks, though. But but yes, I, I agree, and that, I think, went a bit too far. Genocide Machine, I think, gets the balance just right. Yes. It certainly gets the balance in keeping with the later Sylvester McCoy and Ace when it was really, really good. So what I think we need to do is do a rating So what could we have as a rating scale for excellence in audio drama? What would sound really good? Who has a really good, compelling voice that you just want to listen to? (laughs) I can see where this is going. Would the name Siri Van Epp be creeping towards this podcast? Siri Van Epp never creeps anywhere. She glides like a goddess. Would you like to explain to the boys and girls who Siri Van Epp is? I have to explain who Siri Van Epp is. Not everybody knows. Well, they should. Siri Van Epp is the one of the lead characters in one of my very, very favourite TV shows called The Corridor People, which is a wonderful slice of weird 1960s drama. Mm. People with no taste whatsoever aren't as keen, but no. um, that's a cross they have to bear. She's just this wonderful arch villainess. She's what Blofeld would be if there was a cross between Blofeld and Lily Savage. Yeah. Oh, The Corridor People. Right, we shall rate the genocide machine in series. I am Persian. Name your price. So what do we think? I I think she sounds marvellous. And for the genocide machine, I'm going to steam in with this. I've got a real soft spot for this. This is a cracking story. It's really well produced, really well cast and acted. I'd give it nine out of ten series. For me, this is a nine. Yeah, it's an excellent adventure. The other thing I wanted to do on this podcast is because we're talking about the audio medium. The other thing that's big in the audio medium and the thing that I love and spend a lot of time listening to is other podcasts. Okay, what have we got as our first pick of the pods? World Enough in Time. World Enough in Time is a Doctor Who podcast. It comes out once a month on the first of the month, and it is an absolutely joyous discussion of classic Doctor Who by a brother and sister team. He's in the UK, she's in New Zealand. They obviously Mm. absolutely love their Doctor Who. 
they're not po-faced about it. They're not analysing every single little word that's spoken on screen. They just really enjoy the show. And anybody who has any love for Doctor Who, I would strongly suggest having listened to them. I'd agree with that. The ones that I've heard, they've just, there's barely been a negative word. It's not gushing. It's just very appreciative. And even stories that they don't like. They've still not ripped things apart. We're far more bitchy than they are. We're more bitchy than most people are, True. to be fair. True. Whenever we record podcasts, we always drink Every copious amounts of gin. And it sort of sharpens the, I won't say acerbic wit, but it certainly sharpens the knives. Not, I'm not sure that I would go with copious amounts. We have tasters of things. All right, ruinous amounts then. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, World Enough in Time, very well worth checking out. I think they're on all the socials. They're certainly on Twitter um, and easy to find on a podcast app. And on that note, we shall sign mm-hmm. off. And the next one that we're going to talk about is a wonderful Australian sci-fi comedy series called Night Terrace. It's written by one of the writers of Outland, which is one of our very, very favourite comedy shows and criminally underappreciated. But for the moment, boys and girls, thank you for giving us your time. We'll be back soon. Goodbye now. The Archive of Audio Antiquities featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. And the announcer was Jenny at Blue Box 99. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was by Edward White and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.